Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business, and I think we've done it. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset that was originally used in the Gutenberg Press. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. Everything else was printed in regular type. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify Black Letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Black Letter Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today with me, I have John Panicella and Royce Warwick. John is the president and CEO of Selenis, and Royce is the senior vice president and general counsel of Selenis. Is that right? That's right. That's right. So I got the titles and the names right. Um, Selenis is a chemical company that's particularly involved in making water clean for industry. I'll let John talk a little bit about that, and we'll talk about intellectual property, protecting IP, strategies around that, and well, anything else we can get into with... Um, some very famous and fancy um, CEOs and GCs today. Thanks, guys, for joining us. So, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Selenis yeah. and Solution, Solution Genesis, I guess, is the, the genesis of the name. Is that right? Yeah, that's the, that's the idea. So uh, thanks for having us today. And uh, so Selenis today is a $3 billion specialty chemical company. Uh, we do business in 120 countries and have over 5,000 employees around the world. Wow. Uh, we're focused in water-intensive industries, so those are biorefining, refining, packaging, tissue, industries that use a lot of water in the products that they consume. Uh, and, uh, and so our, we provide solutions in these industries. Our solutions generally help those customers use water, energy, raw materials more efficiently, more effectively. We help them with sustainability. As an example, like say you were making a packaging product, something that might be what Amazon would ship to your home if you bought something on the internet. A little happy box. A little happy box, okay. So uh, we would, you know, we work with that packaging producer, which is a very water intensive industry, to uh, treat the water influent to that plant so they can use it in their process. Okay. Uh, then we allow them uh, with our chemistries to use that water to make paper. And then the effluent from that plant, we treat uh, so they can discharge it back to a river or a stream. But even more importantly, we help them reuse the water. So we try to close up the system as much as possible so they can reuse it. And we do that with uh, our technical people that we call our salespeople. They're all either chemists or chemical engineers. We have like 1,300 of them deployed around the world working with customers. So is it a challenge to find a salesperson who's a chemical engineer? Because I know patent attorneys who are salespeople are a challenge in our industry, but I imagine that's a, a unique person. Yeah, you have 1,300 of them. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty hard to find a technical person that enjoys selling. It's right. really not natural for them. Uh, but because we sell a solution, it's an engineered approach, usually you find that uh, people kind of gravitate more to the solution end and they're comfortable selling a solution to a customer. Okay, so around this solution, I understand you guys have a number of patents, and I was chatting with Royce before the show a little bit. So 
Tell me a little bit about your patent portfolio. I understand your, your strategy's changed recently. So there's, in the industry, there are different ways to protect intellectual property. And one of them is to kind of construct what they call the pickets, right? Picket fence, where you file in every country and spend millions and millions of dollars on filing fees and protection. Uh, but recently, a lot of companies globally have kind of pulled back from that expensive approach and have done a more considered and targeted approach. And we we're talking about that's kind of something you guys are moving into. Uh, that's right. And so our patent uh, portfolio is evolving as the company evolves uh, and as the company strategy changes. And the way we think about our patent portfolio, it really is that the business strategy needs to be out front as opposed to uh, the patent strategy. So the patent strategy has got to follow where the business is going. And really in the past, and I think this probably was a vestige of our former uh, company, we tended okay. to, an, from a, a patent perspective, patent everywhere. Uh, which can be very expensive. And so we have stepped back from that and we're looking more strategically at how we're, how we're going to file, where we're going to file, and it really does have to track the business strategy. So for, for instance, right now we're at about 20% of revenue uh, that's represented by the, the patented portfolio. And a lot of that, the number was Is that actually, licensing or? That, no, just in terms of patents that oh, we've okay. actually filed. And so, uh, and that number would uh, is kind of dragged down really? uh, by the fact that we're, um, a lot of the patents are on technologies that are not so differentiated and uh, in areas where the company is uh, beginning to focus in a different way, where we're more focused on more profitable um, uh, technologies. Gotcha. Uh, those technologies are where we're actually looking to do more of the patent filing, recognizing that you know, we don't, our, at Solenas, the patent filing strategy is not a numbers game. Uh, nobody at Solenas gets, gets points or, or, or uh, uh, accolades for the number of patents filed. It really does have to track strategically uh, to where the business is going. And then there are different ways to protect IP, but I'm sure we'll get into that as well. Not so, just patents. So tell me a little bit about how you approach infringers or how you approach protecting your intellectual property. I understand we file patents. Everybody files patents and there's this shotgun approach, file as many as you can and hopefully you'll capture stuff and there's, there's defensive and offensive patent filings. But what do you guys do when it comes to somebody taking your IP or you notice or has that happened? We do take uh, the offense uh, and yes, it's happened and it can t if you're in business then it's going to happen uh, and uh, you're going to get infringers of your trademarks and also your, patent, your patents and it's important um, that you defend them and so we do. And usually the defense is kind of progressive. Um, you know, you'll send out the cease and desist letter, which actually works uh, sometimes. Just recently, we, we had a situation where we sent out a letter last week and uh, we got a response, um, which was quick from the, the trademark person. Trademark or patent? It was trademark. Uh, and we got a response. So sometimes it, the, the basics actually work. Uh, and so we take that tact. Sort of surprising. That, that is surprising sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but there are uh, certain circumstances where the, the soft approach is not going to work. We don't, uh, and with any decision that you make uh, with respect to using official uh, forums like litigation, it's got, there's got to be a business case uh, for that. And the business sure. case is uh, the value, the potential value that's being compromised uh, for the business um, and also the cost of the litigation. And not just outside counsel costs, but also the internal time the and time. distraction costs yeah. uh, for the organization. But another factor that we consider is, um, you know, what needs to be uh, understood by the market in terms of 
uh, Selenus's position on defending its intellectual property. So in certain circumstances, we have had to file offensively. Right. Um, and we've done that because um, of the landscape and what was going on in the marketplace. So, so if I were to kind of dig a little bit into that, that was a, a lot to unpack, but I think that's really vital. As a general counsel of a big $3 billion chemical company, every single piece of litigation, you're not going to even launch a $50,000 litigation for no business case reason. It's got to have an external um, business value and an internal business value, I guess. Is that right? It, it, they have to... Yeah, it's a it's has to make financial sense. Cost benefit, uh, and the the benefits can be uh, dollars, mm -hmm. uh, but it also can be the the statement to the market about your yeah your fortitude um, in protecting your intellectual property. And the costs are you know obviously the legal cost, uh, but also the internal cost because you can't uh, you know conduct litigation without employees being involved. And if the employees are involved in litigation, then they're not doing what we ultimately have paid them to do, which is to make money uh, and to uh, generate value for customers. And so that benefit, that balance has got to be there before you affirmatively um, okay. take on litigation. And so what process do you go through when you select outside counsel? Do you have a kind of, here's a roster of outside counsel we use, or in each case, do you do go through an RFP process? How do you select outside counsel? Varies, uh, but in terms of um, the actual selection process, it really is. I mean, table stakes um, would be the expertise, um, right. obviously, but it's also the um, the philosophy uh, of collaboration with okay. uh, the firm, and also whether they how they engage with us from a business perspective. Uh, because for Selenis, I mean, John was talking about uh, the uh, our solutions uh, approach right. to actually driving. Um, solutions for customers. And so internally, Selenus Legal is charged with doing that. We need outside counsel who thinks the same way. And if they're not helping us come up with solutions that we can pass on internally to our business folks to solve a customer's problem, then they're not for us. And so that's critically important to us, um, as well as diversity. Diversity is, uh, we think it's a competitive advantage, um, in including inclusion. And so that factors into the selection of outside counsel as well, because uh, again, uh, we need um, diverse thinking in terms of bringing solutions to bear, and we need outside counsel that can help us do that. So diversity and inclusion actually matters too. So do you guys use a, a, a wide range of outside counsel, or do you have a couple go-to shops that you go to over and over again? I mean, how do you... So I know that there are a lot of companies that for years and years and years, they'll say, we use, and maybe use, we use Cooley or we use Mofo, and that's, a, that's, that's who they go to first, and then they figure out who they're going to use by going to that firm. But do you actually manage that kind of individualized selection process yourself, or do you rely on outside counsel to find the next tier of outside counsel? Because I know that's something our, our listeners are interested in as attorneys and other GC or corporate counsel who do the same thing you do. Well, ultimately, the decision is with Selenus Legal because we have to deliver service to the, to the company. And so right. who we partner with is very, uh, it's a critical strategic um, activity that we engage in. So we'll take help from just about anybody, right? Gotcha. And so there are um, firms, and we also have a, a partnership with a company called Advanced Law um, that helps us uh, to think uh, okay. through and provide uh, potential options for, for outside counsel. But ultimately, the decision is is with uh, Selenus Legal. And there are certain areas where we do work uh, exclusively with a, a specific firm. So for IP, for instance, we have outsourced uh, globally IP to a firm called LK Global. 
And so um, that model is, is working for us um, in an area where, I mean, we're a global company. Um, and how can we um, think more strategically? Right. Again, about managing, the, about managing yeah. the patent portfolio uh, and make it cost effective. And the model that we've put in place um, with them is actually uh, working. Um, there are other go-to firms that we have in certain areas, mm -hmm. um, but we have a process uh, for evalu evaluating firms for the matter at Gotcha. Hand. So case-by-case -case basis to yes. some degree. Yeah. So when it comes to, I'll touch on a subject for both of you guys, um, how do you feel about uh, protecting IP in China or doing business in China? I mean, obviously, set aside the coronavirus thing for now, I mean, something that our employees in China are staying home. We can only have two attorneys in the office at a time. That's a law, apparently, in Beijing where we have our, our work. But outside of that stuff, we had to mention it because it's happening. Um, how do you guys feel about China? How, how do you feel about you know, spending money there to protect IP, for example? We have, we have uh, three manufacturing plants and okay. quite a few employees in China. Um, our plants are running, even through the coronavirus. Uh, but Investors uh, heard that, right? <laughs> But, um, you know, we, uh, we did a bunch of, uh, a lot of benchmarking of other chemical companies. We just built a big plant in, uh, in South China. Okay. Shenzhen and, or? Uh, just over the bridge from uh, Hong Kong. We did a bunch of things there to uh, look at how to segment employees, mm -hmm. no copiers in the plants, no, no uh, zip drives, you know, all those kind of, it seems kind of trivial, but, you know, those are the kind of things where, yeah. Uh, intellectual property leaves. And so we think we protect the technology we have there by doing those kinds of things. Uh, but it's a uh, it's an interesting question because culturally, what you would think infringes on intellectual property, they don't always see it the same way. Right. And, uh, you know, it's not like you really have to spend a lot of time uh, with employees there to really have it make sense to them because it doesn't have the same meaning as it has to you or me. You were talking about physical protection measures you take, so no zip drives and you have some, so that's kind of a, a way to implement a version of trade secret protection, I guess. Um, what do you guys do on the kind of official side, the registration side? Do you, do you have a relationship with a, a firm in China? Do you file patents there? Do you uh, have a firm, is that part of your global strategy? It is, it okay. is. So again, we have um, one uh, firm that handles matters globally, and there are local affi affiliates or firms with whom they have relationships that help to to uh, secure the infrastructure. Okay. Uh, and so we do file in China. So you direct them strategically, and then yes. this firm executes on your strategic direction. That's right. I mean, and they have um, operations outside of the U.S. in certain countries, but to the extent they do not, they they have the relationships, and the the infrastructure is a part of their infrastructure. They manage those relationships for us so directly. They are accountable to Selenus for uh, the delivery of service uh, for IP, and so that's that's the way that model works. So, do they manage your patents and trademarks, both. or just oh, both? Okay, both. yeah. And do you get, and so we manage them, but they help. Right. They, they help us. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So for they, sure. they help us with that that management process. So weird question about not maybe not weird, but um, so a lot of companies say, well, what's the you know I'm a chemical company like your company or a biotech company. Is my brand important? Do I have to spend money and effort in, you know, filing Madrid Protocol or national applications or protecting my brand outside of the country? Uh, what do, what's the approach you guys take to that, or what are your thoughts on that? We we do that. 
Uh, and it is important uh, to us as with any company and, and their brand. And so we take affirmative steps to make sure that we're uh, protecting that as well. So do you file and uh, do you guys have a registration for your mark in every country that you do business or is it more strategic? It is more strategic and we're taking the same approach that we have with patents. Okay. Because you can, uh, you know, you can structure your strategy in a way that gives you this same or similar, similar level of protection within your risk tolerance um, by filing in fewer places. Right. And so we're actively looking at that uh, as well. There may be some, and, and again, this is a, an evolving process. Uh, there may be some uh, trademarks, for instance, that have just been around for a really long time. Um, and so we have to question, well, if we're not yes. selling that product or much of that product, do we really need to, um, to pay renew. for trademarks yeah. and renew in that country um, where we can still protect it, but we don't necessarily have to pay for that protection directly. And so, oh, interesting. so that's where we're thinking about it. Yeah, that that's thing. exactly right. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. I know that some co companies are challenged in foreign, like China. If you file first, even if somebody else is using it before you, your rights are superior there. So you have this patchwork of countries. But I assume that's something you do in conjunction with the outsourced legal help. They that's kind right. of give you the, so yeah. that's a neat. So, and what's that called again? LK? Okay. LK Global. LK mm -hmm. Global. You know, going back on, uh, you know, Royce talked about how we've changed kind of to really mm -hmm. focus on the patents we want to protect. Right. Well, it kind of started with we had to change how we thought about the whole process. So historically, this company would try to patent a lot of almost everything. And uh, a lot of the innovation was inside out instead of outside in, meaning scientists would be working on things that they thought were clever and they would patent them. So when we got here, what we decided to do is use a different concept. It was a uh, concept that I had used for the last 20 years that a consultant uh, teaches. It's called new, pro new product blueprinting. Okay. And it's a way to understand unmet customer need. And we trained all our people, the scientists as well, in how to do this with the idea being, if you go to a customer today and you ask them, what do you want? They generally tell you they want what they're already buying because they'd like to buy it cheaper or whatever. That's probably not the place you want to go invest your money. So this concept of new product blueprinting is about how you interview the market and customers. And it's a process that uh, you go in and you determine the unmet need. We don't spend any money today on R&D without going through the new product blueprinting process. Because then we're pretty sure that if we create the solution, it'll be patentable and we'll want to protect it because it'll be valuable. Gotcha. So you're meeting two. So one requirement of a patent is that it's novel, right? That it's new, that it's useful, and that it's not obvious. And so the new product blueprinting process, a business process, is in parallel to the basic requirements for a patent. That's what yeah. it sounds like. And the patent right? team is involved in what we call the stage gate process. Right. So they're there step by step you know, with the technical and market teams yeah. figuring out, you know, you know, what's unique, how do we, how do we think about it? But it really has changed the game for us and it's changed how we think about patenting the technologies because now we're trying to create novel ideas by not asking customers what they want, by trying to understand what are the problems that they have gotcha. that we can create a solution for. So let me ask a question that maybe is a little little challenging, um, not challenging. So, that, so that's the strategy as I understand it, which totally get this strategy is 
you are patenting and protecting things that are business valuable and you're only spending money on patents in business valuable spaces. Now, there is also a school of thought that you patent as much as you can so that you have defensive patents. Strategy is popular with IBM or some of the big telecos. So have you guys ever thought, and I understand when you came here, it was neither. It was like, if we've got something neat, it's kind of like the 3M, you know, like if you have something neat, submit it and we'll file provisional. We'll put a cover sheet on it. We'll get some protection around something that might be worth something someday and figure out where we can go. And that's expensive. Again, but what about the defensive side? Do you guys ever, do you do any of that or have you? We do. Um, but again, that's, that is uh, driven by uh, the business strategy, but it's also, we don't, uh, again, sort of ring fence it. Okay. Um, we, we think about, we look at specific um, competitors uh, and where they are and what they're, because we can see, you know, you can see the landscape, right. you can see their patent landscape. Yep. And so we're, we're looking at where they are and how does that match up with where we are and where we want to be and what we want to do and the magnitude of, you know, growth in the business that we want to facilitate. And so that's, so we will look at specific competitors, but we're not, we don't sort of do a, an against the wall sort of throw it up there and uh, right. protect everything approach. It really is still strategic because that's just the way we, we drive the business and it's got to be tied to a customer need. So you'll do some defensive patenting as well as, as I guess what I'm driving at. Just not yes. a lot. But. It's not a lot. It's not a lot, but, but we look at it um, and it's still, it's an opportunity for us to be actively um, engaged in that process. And where the opportunities present, then, you know, again, it's all about the business case and balancing cost uh, benefit as to whether or not we actually want a patent. But we have our eye on it. Yeah. So something that I think is sort of interesting, looking at your, your industry is so, or what your company does is so specific. And I'm not saying there are few, but there are larger and fewer consumers of your product than, say, like a Google or an AT&T or, a, you know, a Huawei or something like that. So you're, you're in a kind of different mode from a, an IP protection perspective, right? It's a, who are you protecting your IP uh, from? In other words, who are the people that you would be in dispute with in your industry versus not specific companies necessarily, but the type of, well, type of potential infringement? Yeah, I'll give you an example. If you, if you bought a coffee this morning, right, that Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts cup that you bought has a plastic liner in it. It's not recyclable or compostable. Most people don't understand that. They think they're buying a paper cup and it's recyclable. It's not. We developed a technology and we're commercial with it now in Europe. This would be for like ice cream containers, yeah. the same kind of cup or coffee cups, hot, cold beverage to uh, replace that plastic liner with a water soluble polymer, makes it compostable and recyclable. Now, it's a big market, so some of our customers actually have their own technologies right. that they're trying to solve this problem with. I so Starbucks could be a competitor. Not likely Starbucks, okay, but the person making the packaging, okay? So the, ma the person making the cup for Starbucks, okay, could be our competitor because they want to have their own unique solution. Uh, so our customers sometimes can compete as well as other specialty chemical companies could compete in that kind of space. So is the kind of, there's a little bit of a trend towards vertical in integration in a lot of these consumer product companies, I think. So in other words, Starbucks has somebody who makes their plastic and that, or their cup, and that cup company has somebody who makes their plastic. But we've seen these really big companies as they become mega, like Amazon's one I can think of, 
that starts acquiring all of the you know, upstream and downstream parts of their industry so that they're fully vertically integrated. Is that a threat to you guys? Is that part of in your, or not really? Not really. No. Okay. So, you know, I guess there's two things going on in, in, as I see it in the corporate world. Mo most companies that, you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, U.S. Steel, you know, big, they, they, they were in 10 different businesses. The focus is changing to a more focused business that you understand the customers, you understand the market, and you can, you can, you know, you can really get your, your team focused on that. So, you know, back to your question on vertical integration, you know, like, so Starbucks, they're in the coffee business, right? right? They're going to go have the customer experience be what they really think about. They are not really that interested in vertically integrating into the paper that makes the cup. Gotcha. Because there's not a lot of value. For different. them. Like GE started deintegrating, I guess, yeah. is one of the famous cases of deintegration. So big question for you guys and, and taking up a lot of your morning with, with mics and cameras and time. I appreciate all the time. But what are the three most important things? I guess I'll start with, with Royce. What are the three most important things as GC, as a general counsel, that you would say to either another general counsel or your outside counsel that they should know about you and how you operate as a, as a general counsel? Again, I guess I go back to just uh, the focus on Selenis as a company and our focus on customers. Uh, and, the, and our, you know, our, our sole purpose is to, you know, solve somebody's problems. Uh, and so uh, our commercial team um, and the rest of the company are focused on solving customer problems that manifest in different ways, sometimes more directly uh, or sometimes more indirectly. Uh, than maybe somebody on the front lines, uh, like the commercial team. But the, but the mindset has got to be the same at the level of uh, support organizations like, like legal. And, and again, so we're partnering to help um, our internal customers and clients um, focus on solving problems for our external uh, customers and in the process, uh, protecting our assets. Uh, because we do have uh, shareholders uh, to whom we have a responsibility. Uh, and so that's, that's important to us as well. But for me, it's, you know, make sure that the, the business strategy leads, um, whether it's um, IP or any other strategy, it's got to be the business strategy and not the other way around. And so okay. it's just that simple. So if I could summarize it, and then you can correct me, it sounds like the first thing, and probably good advice for any interface with a company as an outside counsel, is that you have to understand what the company's mission is. And then you as an outside counsel have to align with the company's mission before anything else. It's not solving a legal problem, it's solving the company's problem. Yes, and in order to do that, you have to know the company and you need to know the people. And so um, connecting with the people in a very personal way and understanding our business challenges and our priorities for the year, um, we talk with our outside counsel about that so that they understand it because we need them aligned with, with where we're going. And so having to uh, I need a partner who understands that and is on, on board with that. And so that understands what you make, who your customers are. And where we're going tomorrow. Yep. Where we are today and where we're going tomorrow, what's important to us. And so for right now, for you as GC, it's business case leads everything you do. Uh, that's right. And it's up to us as a legal department and a legal function to make sure that outside counsel understands that as we're um, you know, solving issues gotcha. and solving problems and helping to make money. Maybe even uh, becoming a profit center, you know, in terms of monetizing IP, but we hadn't got, we haven't gotten into that. We probably don't have time for that, but, uh, I can talk to you about it though. We do some of that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we know how to do that very well. So John, what about you? What as the CEO and president of the company and, you know, you travel a lot, 120 countries and you have all this stuff going on. What's the most important thing 
that you would say to either your GC, who's right here, in terms of what they should, they should think about as a GC generally, and you can make it more generic, or to somebody else who's in a position like yours? Like, what do you think you would say to them and say, well, this is what I think the most important thing is about running our company, the single most important thing or the two most important things? Well, when I think about running the company, and I could talk about you know, what, you know, how Royce and I maybe work together, but I think about running the company, I try to do two or three things. We really are trying to create the right culture here. Right. Because if you have the right culture, then you know, your employees are engaged. Uh, they're really helping you drive what you want to drive. So creating the right employee experience is important to us. So we've built a culture. We talk about it. It's about people, performance, and results. Okay. And we, we drive that culture through our employee survey. Uh, and we tell people, hey, look, you may be in 120 countries. We'd like to come have uh, a sit-down session with you on a regular basis, but we can't do that. So use the employee survey to give us feedback. And then whether it's the legal team or the finance team, then they can, they can take that feedback and go try to make your experience better. So working on the company culture is okay. important to us. And then working conversely on the customer experience, right? How do we make sure our customer has the right experience from us every time? Okay, so I work on that a lot. Employee experience, customer experience. And then, you know, what I try to do with our functions, whether it's legal or finance or HR, is align them to the business strategy, right? Because you really can't have a function that doesn't align. Right. And so we really work hard on alignment to make sure that, you know, if we're going to spend $50 million a year on technology development, that our IP strategies align to the business priorities, as an example. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so talk to me a little bit about how you two work together as a kind of the top of the company and dealing with legal and, and the business case. And obviously you understand the business case, but how do you guys well, work I'll together? I'll start with, you know, what we have is we have an executive committee. Okay. So it really involves, we have two business presidents. Uh, we have Royce and we have the uh, CFO and the leader of HR. And we meet on a monthly basis. And whether it's um, sometimes not so nice issues to have to deal with right. uh, or, uh, or how we're going to invest and grow and where we're going to spend our money. And, you know, so we meet as a team once a month and talk about that. And that's kind of how we lead the company is with an executive committee. Okay. And what is that? An informal meeting? Do you guys no, do we're here in a conference person. room? So yeah, yeah, we're here in person. Okay. Mostly, mostly. With the, and, and it's formal, it, yeah. A for, so a formal business meeting? Yeah, and it's usually like a half a day, and we have a variety of topics. Like I said, sometimes they're good topics, sometimes they're not so good topics. Right. Uh, that, uh, that we have to go deal with, and that's what we try to do is, it gives you a perspective, right? Because everybody's got a perspective, and it usually allows you to end up with the right answer. Excellent. Is there anything else you guys would like to say to the the podcast listening audience that you'd like to share about your company or anything that I've left off? One of the things we're really focused on is, you know, to grow a business, mm -hmm. you have to think about like, what's your strategy? Ours is to kind of think about these market trends. Right. So, you know, things are happening fast. Like you would not have thought like three years ago that sustainability was going to change the business environment, but it's going to, it already is. There now are funds that can only invest in sustainable companies. And so young people are changing the world in a much faster way than 
ever happened before because of social media, because communication channels, because of all this stuff. So we're really focused on how do we tell our sustainability story. And, uh, you know, we have two ways to address that. One is, are we a good corporate citizen? Do we do the right thing in the communities where we operate? And we do. The second thing would be, do we do the right thing with our facilities? You know, air emissions, water emissions, you know, those kind of things. But most importantly, it's what we do for our customers. Because these customers have big facilities uh, that consume a huge amount of energy, water, resources. And our ability to help them change their CO2 footprint, drive a more sustainable solution, is really important to them. And they are selecting suppliers. Investment funds are selecting where they invest. All on this concept of sustainability, I think driven by young people. They actually read you know, the what's in a product, make their decisions on what they'll buy by what's in a product. Yeah. And I think it's going to have a really pro, you know, profound impact on business. So that's one of your corporate core values, it sounds like, is that you're driving sustainability for your customers because that's your customers' need. Yes. Is they need to be sustainable as well because that's the, just how the world is, yeah. is trending. Um, fantastic. Well, well, thank you both very much uh, for joining us today. Thank you, viewing audience, for joining us on this episode of the Black Letter Podcast. Download us wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes and Google Play. And we'll see you on the next episode of the podcast. Thanks. Take care. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play so you never miss an episode. And to catch us on video, check out our website at blackletterstudios.com.